0: Please be seated. As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm once again, I'm going to read verses 21 through 33. Um, We have taken several weeks to move through this paragraph. Um, one, I hope part of what you have seen in the last two weeks, as we've teased out the the redemptive history or the theological unfolding of of where marriage fits in the eternal purposes of God for His church, um, is that it has put marriage into a, a hopefully a, a, a new and clearer. Uh, perspective for you that is it is an amazing awesome thing that God uh, is doing but also we've been taking this time to to work through this slowly um, because uh, there are are these words in this passage that uh, one um, have been completely abused through the years um, and two Uh, can be really difficult uh, for us because we tend to separate the instructions here. We tend to separate those instructions from that beautiful, amazing, redemptive historical picture of where marriage fits. And so we took a lot of time to, to work through the theology so that we can get this morning back into the text and look more at the specific at the specifics that we find here, keeping all of this held together by this beautiful picture of of the love of God in Jesus Christ for his bride, for his treasured possession. Let's read once again Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 21. We are to be filled in the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, Uh, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are not a God that we can fit nice and neatly into the little box that we like. Even as Daniel prayed this morning, it is so easy and natural for us to try to make you into our image. Lord, remind us that you have made us in yours, and that even as those who fell through sin, you are remaking us in the image of your son. Lord, help us to see that and what it means for us as believers, what it means for us as a church, what it means for us in our marriages. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have taken time working through this section as i said from the very beginning because there is one a tendency to separate god's commands from god's gospel and we do this not just with regards to marriage not just with regards to our roles in marriage we do this in everything you and i struggle and wrestle to ground our devotion to God in his extravagant grace to us in Jesus Christ, and so sometimes this is why um, when you are not um, walking in the Lord in a way that you wish you were, uh, some of you you uh, you get scared, some of you you get you you uh, start feeling ashamed. Some of you, you respond in thinking that, well, I'm not, I'm not doing enough to prove to God that, that I love him and that he didn't waste his election on me. And so you start, you know, zero, focusing in on yourself in such a way that, that you lose your confidence with God. Others of you, because you feel very confident, most likely too confident in your efforts to follow God. What what you can tend to do when you separate uh, devotion to God, um, when you separate that from, from the gospel of God, When what you do is you function with this perspective, well, you know, I've got it together. And so you just choose to either disregard or you choose to redefine or you choose to ignore your sin. Oh, well, that was just a mistake. Oh, that's just a, char- that's a, that's a character flaw. And, and you tend to deal uh, with things from that perspective. And, and what happens is, whether you are someone who puts all this pressure on yourself, or if you're someone who wants to not have to look at yourself at all, Either way, what happens is you get robbed of the power of the presence of God in your life as someone whom he has made alive, raised up, and seated in Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2. You don't utilize and tap in to the power of, of the blessings of God in your life in which every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has become yours in Christ, Ephesians 1. And so when you are not tapping into these realities and you are just focusing on yourself, your own efforts, your own character, your own preferences, your own desires, your own intentions, whatever it is, when your focus is is there, you are robbing yourself of what you need to carry out the will of God as someone who's been made new in the resurrection of Jesus. This is in general. You bring that to your marriage. You bring that to your understanding of the role of the husband and the role of the wife, and it creates all kinds of messes. And so often what ends up happening is we'll have Christian brothers and sisters who, who are wanting to, to have a, a Christian marriage, but what they will do is they will lock into the specific commands for the other person. Well, don't you know, the husband says, you're supposed to submit to me. Don't you know, the wife says, you're supposed to love me as Christ loves the church. We like to take the commands of God and, and implement them in others' lives more than we like to implement them in our own lives. And the reason we do that is because we dis. Connect God's grace and his power from his will. Now, what we just looked at the last couple of weeks is that in God's eternal purposes and plans, he determined to set his love on a people who would not be lovely. He chose to set his love on a people who would reject him apart from his love, who who would fight and wrestle against him rather than receiving and resting upon him. And yet God, because this is what he wants, he is going to accomplish it. And to accomplish it, he has given us his son. And what we have seen in Jesus Christ, is the eternal God took on flesh and he was willing to give up for a time the glory he is due as God in order to serve and to consider others more important than himself by giving up his life for them. What we have seen is that as Jesus has been accomplishing this, he has done it as one who was equal to the Father. The same in substance, equal in power and glory, our catechism says. And yet Jesus chose to carry out the mission of salvation in humble submission to his Father's will. As Jesus said, I have come not to do my own will, but my Father's will. Jesus willingly placed himself under the will of his Father. Jesus willingly placed himself under the circumstances of his sinful people. Jesus used the power and the authority that he had in order to glorify his Father. And to share that glory with his bride. You see what's going on here? We take the power and the authority that we have. Whatever it is in your life, some of you have a lot more authority than others. But all of us, to some degree, exercise some form of authority. And what we are told is we exercise that in a mutual submission in Jesus Christ. So you use what the Lord has gifted you. You use that for the benefit of others. You don't use your money. You don't use your power. You don't use your influence. You don't use these different things in order to make a big name for yourself, in order to build up wealth for yourself, in order to use the people around you to have a name for yourself or to work your way up the corporate ladder at the expense of those around you or I could go on, I could go on, I could go on. That is not Christian. Christian. It is not Christian to use power and authority in order to just promote yourself over those around you. Whether it is in the church, whether it is in the family, or whether, as we will, Lord willing, get to in chapter 6, if it is in the workplace. You take the power and the authority. You take the, 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 the gifts. You take your time, your treasure, your talent. And you use those for others. And what we are told is when you do that in the family, between husband and wife, what happens is each other's good is ultimately being pursued. As husband pursues the good of his wife, and as the wife pursues the good of her husband. Now, think about that for a second. How often are we tempted to think that what Christian marriage is is is, you know, not wanting anything from the other person, but just, you know, just trying to just trying to love them. How often do we get tempted into thinking that, well, Christian marriage is well and Christianity in general, right? Christianity in general, it's not about wanting things. We're not we're not supposed to want things. The more godly we become, the less we want things. All right? That's stoicism. That's not Christianity. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. We are told that, that God is the one who is to be the sole object of all our desires because he made us, he created us to be desirers. So we can't just cut off the desire. Our desire is to be for the Lord. What the Apostle Paul is helping us understand is marriage plays a role in the Christian's life to give a tangible uh, theater in which you learn to put your desires onto God as you look for God to work in your life through your spouse. And as you make yourself available to God to be used in your spouse's life. We are to want things within the marriage. But the way we get there is not through selfish, self-centeredness, where you see the other person there to get you what you want. We pursue our desires in God as we serve him by serving our spouse. And as each other is serving the Lord, what Paul says is as each other, a partner serves the Lord, the result is that each experience the blessing that the Lord intends. And the beauty here, the mystery here, is that we are being told that this is not just true in the marriage, it's true in our evangelism as the church. But the beauty that we set before the world is the beauty of someone who used authority, authority self-sacrificially for the benefit of an enemy. And that the response of the church is to let go of, of wanting to have some personal individualized standing and instead to rest in the standing of. That Jesus has achieved. As husbands sacrifice. And love their wives sacrificially. What happens is the sacrifice of Jesus. Is put on display. And as wives. As they sacrifice. In, in re- resting in the service of their husbands, the beauty and the privilege of the church is put on display for the world to see. That the blessings that we inherently desire because we are created in the image of God and yet those desires that are broken because of our sin that all of this has been brought together in Jesus Christ and so the church has an opportunity right now an opportunity to put the gospel through marriage back into its proper perspective in your home, in the church, and within our society. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Because the three are connected. All of us would say that if we look at the, the condition of marriage in Western culture, if we look at the, the condition of marriage in American culture, that things are clearly broken, that things clearly are going in the wrong direction. And it gets so easy for us to start pointing fingers at those sinners out there, those who, who want to, to open marriage up to things that God has said marriage is not open to, whether it has to do with, with uh, attraction, with, with engenders, whether it has to do with the desire for, for multiple partners, whether it has to do uh, with, with any of the things that we see going on in our culture, when it's just so easy for us to point our fingers and say, oh, that is so wrong, oh, that is so bad, oh, I can't believe that. If you want for the church to be a blessing to this culture, it is not going to come from us acting self righteous, pointing fingers at others when we ourselves are guilty of not perceiving marriage as God has revealed in the scripture. And if we want some credibility, to speak into the culture, beloved, that credibility has to be earned because I'm going to let you know whatever credibility may have been there in generations past, that credibility is lost. It is gone. But just as marriage is, is an enactment of God's redemption of a sinful bride, you and I can still participate in God's redemptive purposes for marriage. And we can change course within ourselves and get back on track with putting this eternal mystery of God with his people, putting that back on display, not by pointing fingers out there, but by looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, Am I, as a husband, am I loving my wife sacrificially? Or am I using my power and my authority to make her do what I want? Am I using my love, am I loving my wife? Am I loving her in order to help her see where she fits within the church as an undeserving yet exalted bride? Or do I like to browbeat or or use language or bulldoze emotionally and, and make her feel smaller in order for her to do what I would like for her to do? Because every one of you in here have done that. Some have done it ignorantly, unwittingly. I have been in some settings where that was being done in the name of Jesus. Because men had been convinced that the way that a Christian man carries out his role as a husband is doing the opposite of what is taught in feminism rather than understanding that the role of the husband is found in one place and that is in the role of Jesus Christ. And there are wives who know what the scripture says on this but because of bad experiences that they have that they have um, had to go through, are very scared. Are very unwilling to make themselves vulnerable like that in a marriage. To make themselves vulnerable. But there are also those who know that the husbands are being told to sacrifice. And they like to take advantage of that as well. And that is because whether you are a man or whether you are a woman, guess what? We are all equally fallen in our sin. And every one of you has sinful patterns that are unique to you that are a result of you coming from Adam, but also a result of your own personal issues, your own experiences in life, your own fears, your own desires. Every one of us is formed and shaped by so many different things when it comes to our sin and when it comes to living in a broken world and and being in relationships with other fallen people. And so the reality is, whether you're a man or a woman, you are going to be tempted to do the exact opposite of what this text says. Or you're going to be tempted to do what's here, but you're going to be tempted to do it for the wrong reason. You'll be tempted to do this to get something out of it, to get something from the person rather than to give. Now, if you need more specifics, come see me. I love to do marriage counseling because so often what is happening in the marriage is that both person is experiencing the same thing, but they express it in unique ways to themselves. And what they, all they need is help in communicating. But the bottom line here is that power is to be used for the benefit of another, not for the benefit of the self. That submission is to be used for the benefit of the other, not for the benefit of the self. And as we recover this in the church, we get to renew this participation that we have in the mission of God in setting the mystery of God and his church before a world that is languishing in death and destruction. Where the marriage situation that we see in the culture is the result of the fallen nature expressing itself in a unique fashion according to the fallen values of the culture. Standing back and self-righteously pointing that stuff out is not What they need. They need to see Christ's sacrificial love. They need to see the church resting in Christ. And that's what you and I get to do with our marriage. And then lastly, there are limits that are part of this relationship. Best way that I thought to put that on display for you is as we read from Acts chapter 4 this morning as the the apostles who had been commanded by Jesus to preach his gospel, they did so, and the religious authorities of Israel are not happy with this. And they actually tell them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, Did the apostles have the responsibility of of keeping the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Especially as that commandment was understood to be fleshed out in the life of Israel, that everyone who is in authority over you, you are to submit yourself to. And, And those who are in authority are not to use that authority to abuse, but use that authority to lift others up. Yes, absolutely. Were they taught that they were supposed to submit to the government? Yes. Were they taught that they were supposed to admit to submit to the religious leaders? Yes, they were. And yet, when a God ordained authority tells them to do something that that is the opposite of what God has said, what do the apostles say? We must obey God. God over you. This was not an excuse for them to do whatever they wanted. But it is a provision within the life of the church that are we called to submit to the government? Yes. Romans 13, 1 Peter 3 or 2. Are we called um, as the people of God to submit ourselves to the authority in the church? Yes. Yes. Is there authority in the home that is to be submitted to? Yes. Does that mean that authority has no limits? Does that mean that authority can say whatever it wants? Does that mean that authority can command whatever it wants? Does it mean that that authority can, can use it for whatever purposes they think is right, even if they have godly intentions? The answer is no. In our Confession of Faith, Westminster Confession, read Article 20 this afternoon. It's one of my favorite articles in the Confession. It's, it's one of those things that makes us distinct as a denomination. And that is we believe in liberty of conscience, and we believe that only God can bind the conscience. What that means is that within this church as the Elders carry out their authority in the name of Christ. It means we have to be submitted to his will as he's revealed it in the scripture and we are not allowed to ask anything of you that Jesus himself does not clearly ask of you in his word. And husbands, this means that you cannot require anything of your wife that God does not explicitly require of her. In his word. There is a limit. There is also a limit to the submission. Part of the liberty of conscience chapter in the Westminster Confession not only teaches that authorities are not allowed to bind consciences, it also teaches that you are not allowed to have your conscience bound by others. And one of the things that this means is that you, if you are a wife, you are not being called to submit to the whims of your husband. You are called to submit to his leadership as he puts the leadership of Christ as revealed in the word in front of you. This also means that there is no place for the church to promote to women that they owe it to Jesus to endure abuse. The PCA just came out with a really good report on abuse. It is a report that looks at the different types of abuse that you can find and how to understand that abuse from a biblical and confessional perspective. It includes in the report, by the way, the abuse of church authority. I highly recommend you read that section. But there is no doubt that in the history of Western culture that there has been a patriarchal framework. And, there's, and, and, and there is no doubt that even within the the life of the church, within Western modern culture, there has been this patriarchal framework. And unfortunately, that framework was not utilized well by the church in order to put the mystery of God and his people before the culture. There's nothing wrong with the patriarchal framework that God is revealing in the scripture what is wrong is the way sinful hearts and minds abuse it and the result has been even within the church there has been a clear history of abuse abuse from husbands to wives and abuse from wives to husbands in the churches that I have pastored so far I have dealt with cases of both extremes so it's, this is not a gender-specific issue. But what's interesting is, is how infrequently it seems that we want to be honest about the problems and why they have gotten here. And the result or the, re, or the reality is this: These provisions of God have been abused, both in terms of the husband and in terms of the wife. And things have been gotten wrong. In the church. And so, hear me today when Paul says to the wives, Submit to your own husbands, make sure you hear this. He is not saying, Women submit to men. He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say, if you're a woman, that you are supposed to submit yourself to any man. Notice he's very clear Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. So let's make sure we're clear about that. This is not a gender issue here. This is a role within the marriage issue here. That you as a wife submit yourself to your husband as you are submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. As you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, you embody your submission to Christ in the way that you submit to your own husband as he puts Christ before you as Christ is revealed in the word. Does that make sense? All women here are not being told to submit to all men. Notice that what is also not being put here before the women is just love your husband and it doesn't matter how he treats you, just submit. Notice that Paul is very clear about how husbands are to treat their wives. This is not something that's given in a vacuum. And to the church and to the session and to the deacons, one of the things that we have to be able to deal with is the acknowledgement that this has been gotten wrong in the past. And there is a trail of broken people both men and women, broken because abuse that they have experienced in the home where the response of the elders has typically been to say, well, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, exercise your headship in the home. I counseled a young woman on Lookout Mountain when I had first gotten there that had gone through a divorce that she had to initiate because abuse that she was experiencing from her husband. Abuse that she brought to the attention of the session. The details of which I'm not going to give you. But those details were given to the session and the session's response was to tell her if she'll just submit to her husband that that God will use that to make everything right. And the husband was told, you're not exercising your headship very well, which is why your wife came to us. So what do you think resulted in the home? The husband was told, be Jesus by grinding your wife into submission. And she was told, put Jesus before your husband by losing all sense of who you are as someone created and renewed in the image of God in Jesus Christ. The exact opposite of the realities that Paul's talking about here was put on that couple all while using the words of this passage. Beloved, that's why we cannot separate these commands from the gospel. Or we will take these things and we will use them to abuse one another rather than use them to serve and to exalt one another. And so be very clear here, Paul is not telling all women to submit to all men. Paul is not telling women to endure abuse. And I want to be very clear right now. I agree with the, with the report. There is emotional abuse that is true abuse. There is psychological abuse which is true abuse abuse there is physical abuse which is true abuse and it can be sexual it can be through the laying on of hands it can be exercised in in the control of where your your spouse goes and what they do but there are real true Various forms of abuse. And if you are someone here this morning and you sense that you are experiencing that, you come to me. And we'll start working through what is going on. If you are someone here today and you feel like you are someone who has done that, either as a man or a woman, to your spouse. Come to me. Because the gospel is still there. The gospel to repent and to be renewed in Christ. None of us are going to get marriage perfect. We're just not. But the hope that we have Is the hope of Jesus Christ. And that hope is only going to define your marriage insofar as you are purposefully and intentionally, voluntarily submitting yourself to Christ more and more and more. And as each partner, as partners, are encouraging one another to walk in step with Jesus Christ in order to participate in the grand cosmic purposes of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in choosing and redeeming and perfecting a bride in order to delight in her, in order that she might delight in him. Beloved, this is Christian marriage. Not when we perfectly embody that drama, but when we strive to embody that drama, and then when we fail, we engage in the grace of Jesus Christ in confession of sin and in forgiveness of sin between husband and wife. Beloved, this is a beautiful thing. And I recognize that it has been abused in the past. I recognize that both genders have used this to manipulate and to abuse one another. But, beloved, let us not allow fallenness to define how we pursue our marriages. Instead, may our union with Jesus Christ, who voluntarily submitted himself to the Father, in order to use his power for the benefit of his bride, let that be the embodiment of how we approach marriage as we put Christ on display and we allow the Christ of our marriages to be a message of hope to those who are outside of these walls who need the hope of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have to be honest that you have revealed your will so clearly and you have revealed your will so beautifully. And we have so often through history completely gotten it wrong even when we were trying to get it right. And so, Lord, help us to be honest with this, not so that we have to respond in beating ourselves up and, and embroiling ourselves in, a, in an unnecessary and, and self-imposed uh, shame, but also so that we don't have to harden ourselves against the reality of sin and harden ourselves against our failures. Hardening ourselves against your grace. Convince us, Lord, that that when we try to to make everything about us, whether through unnecessary shame or whether through trying to, to get ourselves off of the hook, Lord, put Jesus in front of us so clearly in those moments that we will quit looking at ourselves and we will look to him, that we would rest in his finished work, that we would rest in his amazing love. But also, Lord, that we would not fear having the details of our sins That have already been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross revealed to us. Help us to filter even the sin that is revealed within us. To filter that through the finished payment of Jesus Christ for those sins. So that we might in in the freedom of our new life in Christ. Honestly embrace our failures. Failures knowing that they have already been taken care of and are not something that we have to fear, but something that we need to learn so that we might allow the grace of Christ to touch new areas of our lives as we long to put off the old and put on the new. And Lord, please forgive the failures of your church that has so often mishandled abuse abuse from the husband to the wife and to the from the wife to the husband from the session to a church and from a church to its session abuse has run in both directions in every which way we can think help us lord to humble ourselves when, when you make us aware of these things so that being renewed in your grace, we may also be renewed in the power that we need to strive after new devotion and obedience rather than trusting in ourselves. And Lord, we do, we pray. I pray for everyone in this room who has gone through a broken marriage. And I ask you, Lord, to fill their hearts right now, to fill their hearts with the grace of Jesus Christ, that whether they were the offending party or whether they were the offended party, that they can rest in in Jesus Christ and that whatever... The future may hold whatever the present holds, whether they do not remarry or whether they do. Lord, may they rest their marriages in the hands of Jesus Christ and experience the blessing that can only be found through grace and never be found Through our own obedience and perfection to your will. Lead us as a church, Lord, and lead the marriages within us to strive to be honest and forthright in the grace and in the gospel of Christ for ourselves and for our spouses and for everyone with whom you bring into our fellowship as your bride. And may we never forget that ring of promise that you have placed upon us, your people, through the waters of baptism, knowing the commitment of our Lord to us as displayed through the application of the water, as displayed through the rings that spouses here have placed on each other's fingers, may we carry out the mystery, may we embody and carry out the mystery of of Christ and his bride, for the blessing of one another and for the advancement of your kingdom purposes both now and forevermore. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.